the red pill movement, they focus on status amongst other men and amongst women. You know, you've got to be that man that every woman wants and every woman is attracted to. And she's just like begging for you to like give her some attention. And amongst men, you've got to be that guy, you know, you've got that, you know, that body, you've got that car, you've got that watch. And therefore they're going to respect you and look up to you and all of that. And, you know, status amongst people is, we know it's not important versus status with Allah. Right. It's like part of having a backbone and having a, a character. And that's part of being Giani, a Muslim, like to to have the ability to stand up and not all not always just blend in. Mm. Right. And that's that's part of what makes you special as a Muslim. And if you can't do that, then you've got to question your your level of Iman at, at that time at least. But fill your life with things that are gonna benefit you in the dunya, in the akhirah. And when you benefit yourself, you're going to become more attractive as a spouse as well by default. Assalamu alaikum. Just a quick message before we get into the episode. Please accept my apologies as the audio has not picked up the microphone. So you'll see that the guest Amin's audio is fine. Uh, so that's all great, alhamdulillah. But my audio it defaulted to the headphones, unfortunately. So um, you'll just have to bear with us in relation to that. And it will be fixed going forward, inshallah. Jazakallah khairan. And please like, share and subscribe if you do benefit. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Optimized Muslim Podcast. Today I have with me Brother Amin Omar. Assalamu alaikum brother and jazakallah khair for joining me. No problem whatsoever. And uh, excited to discuss with you today. Alhamdulillah. So, I mean, if you're not familiar with him, I definitely am and have been for quite a few years. Actually, before I started my project and podcast, there were only a mm -hmm. few profiles or faces within like the self-development space for Muslims. And Amin, mm -hmm. he had a channel called Sira Masters, which is now Amin Omar. And we've definitely linked mm -hmm. all that in the description. He was one of the few, along with um, Ismail, Sheikh Ismail Kamda, who I interviewed uh, last week, mm -hmm. and Productive Muslim. So I've been following the brother <laughs> for a while, mashallah. And when I drew up like an mm -hmm. initial list of guests that I wanted to have, uh, he was on that list. And it's taken years to get there because I kind of fell off the podcasting thing for a while. Alhamdulillah, very happy oh. to have you. Um, we'll get more into what Amin does and all of his insights. Amin is like an entrepreneur and he's also heavily into self-development. Like I said, he has a YouTube channel, which is kind of on similar topics, um, making the deen more practical. I remember watching his video about how to wake up for Fajr. Things are very much aligned with this, the same kind of mission and project. So if you're already subscribed to this um, channel and podcast, mm -hmm. you'll definitely like his videos and content as well, inshallah. And aside from that, he also has a podcast called Mind Heist Podcast. And we link that yeah. in, the yeah. in the description as well. So um, yeah. first things first, bro, if you can just tell me, tell us a bit about your background and journey up until now, a uh, brief overview, and mm -hmm. then uh, we get into the details or any topics. Okay, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for the, for the invitation. Um, so I guess compared to maybe if you're the listeners, your audience, are they based in like in the UK generally or? Yeah, it's um, actually there's more US and then it's UK and okay. Malaysia as well. So them three demographics, okay. it's mostly 26 to 34 year olds. Okay, great. So, so I guess I have a bit of a, an upbringing that's different to a lot of those people in terms of I was not born or raised in one country. Um, I was born in the UK, 
Um, but then at age six, I left and I moved to the UAE. I spent a year in Saudi as well. And, um, uh, you know, so I also then I was in the UAE for most of my life. I went to school there, everything. I went to university there. I, then I went back to the UK to do some further studies. And then I went back to the UAE and now I'm in Turkey. So I've lived in, uh, I don't know, maybe like seven, eight cities in my life. Um, maybe, uh, what was it? What did I mention? Three countries, I guess. Uh, UK, UAE and um, Saudi. Saudi and Turkey. Yeah. So four, I guess. Um, obviously, Saudi, I don't really remember too much, just a little bit. Um, so that's like a bit of a, it gave me, it definitely shapes me a lot, you know, living in these different countries. Um, also being that my, my mom is like from Irish descent and my dad is from Algerian descent. So I have a bit of a mixed culture and like having uh, parents from two different places and then growing up in, you know, all these different places. I think the main impact it had on me is that there is no normal for me, you know? And so uh, it's quite easy for me to step out of, uh, any, I, I I grew up without much cultural pressure, right, from any direction, because I'm not in any one culture per se. Um, and the UAE, you know, is a very multicultural place. So even just going to school, you know, there'll be people there from from Egypt, from the UK, from France, from uh, I don't know Pakistan, like all over the place. So you know, what is the culture there? There's no one culture pushing you to be a certain way per se. Um, there were some, of course, dominating forces, but not that strong that I could, you know, couldn't escape it per se. So that shaped me a lot. So I, I grew up in the UAE. I did my bachelor's degree over there. And then uh, I went back to the UK to study more. So I was in the UK then like three years of my adult life only. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like the UAE. It was, it was a good, it was, it was a good place, you know, it's still a pretty good place to live. Um, and then recently I'm in Turkey. Um, what else should I cover now? You want me to go through how I got into business, maybe? Yeah. That might be interesting, um, right? So if you can go into how you started the first business, I think I was watching one of your previous interviews where you talk about having an office job for a while, um, not necessarily liking that oh. environment, and then moving into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah, so this, this uh, actually goes well with what I was just saying about being able to think a bit differently or like uh, not being uh, constrained by any one culture or peer pressure or anything. So in university, I, I went to university with the, with the intention of learning for the sake of learning mostly. Like I just, I just enjoyed learning and I studied a topic that I enjoyed. Of course, I knew there would, there could be some sort of career at the end of that. And of course, I, I definitely went to uni knowing that you kind of got, quote unquote, got to go to uni to get a job. But I was not going to go and study something I wasn't interested in. So I went and I studied something I was interested in. And um, I was going through that. And, you know, in the final year, I realized, you know, because I studied geography, which is kind of a broad um, topic. And unless you want to be a teacher, um, you kind of have to specialize a little bit after that, uh, like with further studies to... Um, to like get into a, another job. So I went and I did a master's degree um, in uh, urban design and town planning. And it was in that year where I was like, it was a very hard year um, for me because I was in like one of the best unis and all that. And there's a lot of pressure. I was the youngest person on the whole course. Okay. Like 
everyone in the course, they were at least like four years older than me, meaning they had all this work experience and all of that. And I had no work experience. You know, like in the UAE, it's not really a thing for young people to work. Like you, you're not even allowed to work really under the age of 18 or even 21. Um, and a lot of those kind of jobs that young people might do, um, they bring like full up, full grown adults over from, you know, place like India, Pakistan, et cetera, to do those jobs. So what kind of jobs are we going to do, you know? So I didn't have that kind of experience, but there are people like in the class with me in the seminars who are like five years um, experience as an architect and, and they're like 27 and I'm there. Uh, I was like 20 when I started it and stuff. So what I realized though, going through that experience was, okay, yes, I can, I can push myself. I can get through something very difficult, even though it was a very difficult year for me. I, I don't give up. Okay. But I dreaded ending that year um, and then going to do an office job. I just dreaded that. I dreaded the idea of that. And already like going, like living in the UAE and moving to the UK was a big, like, it was a cultural shock for me because, uh, you know, I was used to actually mixing mostly with Muslims and stuff and people who are more on my wavelength. And I go to the UK and I'm only with like pretty much, you know, Europeans or mostly, you know, English people, um, non-Muslims. So it was, you know, I, I really did not look forward to that whatsoever. It, it wasn't the work. I was I don't mind working hard and stuff, but it's just uncomfortable for me, you know. So I, I, it was in that year when I was like, I was in London. I was living actually very close to like East London Masjid. And um, it was then when I really started thinking, like I already knew I kind of wanted to get into business, but I was like, damn, I don't want to do this kind of office job with like this kind of awkward, awkward social environment and all of that. So I, I went to a seminar. It was like a conference, actually. I think it was just called business. It was like business 20, what year was it? It was uh, 2012 or I don't know, something like that. Mm. Business 2012. So they had like, they had a few big speakers. They had, um, what's his name? The Virgin uh, founder. Richard Branson. Branson, exactly. They had him speaking there, Richard Branson. They had um, a few other people like, uh, I think they had an ex-president of the US, or I can't remember which one, yeah? So it was like a big thing. And I went literally with my friend who I, I was living with as well. Like, we're, we're kind of into business, you know what I mean? And my dad kind of, he didn't encourage that per se in me. But when I mentioned it to him, he's like, yeah, you know, why not? It's good and stuff. It's always good to have your own thing. But obviously, it's like, you know, you've got to be practical. you got to... Um, you know, get a job and then bit by bit you can build a business and stuff. So we went to this conference and it was in that conference that I uh, discovered the world of internet marketing, basically. Um, there was a specific talk that I attended and the guy was talking about uh, affiliate marketing and he was talking all about how it works. And, you know, he's, uh, he was American and he had a very polished kind of uh, way of speaking and uh, pitching. And uh, he convinced us, I guess, to attend his, uh, his, what did he call it? It was like a two day, workshop or whatever you want to call it on affiliate marketing. So uh, obviously he, he offered like a, a heavy discount and like if you bring someone else, then it's even cheaper and all of that. So basically what I got from that conference that I attended is to, to go to that workshop. So a few weeks later, we went to this workshop, me and my friend, and you know, our mind was blown, you know, about this world of internet marketing. And uh, back then that what this guy was talking about is like ranking in the search results. Um, with SEO uh, skills. 
to uh, then link to a product that you get a commission on, right? Which is affiliate marketing. I never actually ended up going into affiliate marketing, but that just opened my mind to what's possible. And it was ticking all the boxes for me. Like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Like working from anywhere and just needing an uh, internet connection, computer, all of that. You know, that was um, very uh, exciting, enticing for me. And I kind of decided after that, that me and my friend, we would work together on some like study skills, productivity um course that we would sell not not a commission product like an affiliate product but our own and um we we did that but you know obviously i'm very new to the game i don't i think we sold like three copies of that or something yeah and we put a lot of work in that and another big uh takeaway that i got from that seminar and this is like this is now that i think about it it's actually a very big deal that i attended that thing and that guy must have promised us the world for us to go and turn off and buy the ticket to that workshop. And I didn't get the world out of it, but I got a lot out of it. I got, I, 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 uh, I got to know about Upwork and Fiverr and Elance. Back in the day, there was Elance. I got to know these platforms where you can hire people to help you get stuff done. You know, I, I probably, I think he was talking also about the value of time and to value your time a lot. And if something is going to cost um, this much and your time is worth that much, then just hire it out. And I got to know about Google ads. I got to know about SEO and a lot of things. Um, and I think maybe the biggest thing is the view of what's possible opened in my mind as well. So uh, I, I was just reminded of that because to, to polish our book up, um, we were selling an ebook. To polish it, we hired someone like on Fiverr, I think, to to do it for us. So we were implementing things, you know, bit by bit, but we were still like brand new to this and uh, like I said, we didn't make much money. Um, but really that just got me into the whole thing. Um, probably soon after that, I, yeah, then I didn't end up getting an office job. I was just dreading it so much. I kind of procrastinated. I did further studies and, um, I ended up getting a very simple job, you know, while I was still in the UK. Um, and I was, you know, I got, it was very intimidating for me, actually. I think I, I lacked a lot of confidence and I wasn't used to, you know, rubbing shoulders with older people or with like professionals or this and that. So it was quite intimidating for me just to get a simple job, to be honest. So I, I, I pushed through that through actually a lot of like different personal development material pushed me through that fear and intimidation of getting my first job. I got my first job in the UK. I was working, it was quite a simple job, but it was in a library, which meant I could read, 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 read all day. So I was like reading while I was working. And uh, still, of course, like doing my job properly, but it just allowed a lot of time for reading. So I was just reading psychology books, marketing books, um, business books, all of this, just uh, swallowing it whole, you know. And um, as I was learning, I, I bought um, a, a course or two on digital marketing. And then uh, I think the real thing where I started to implement all that was a friend of mine was starting an e-commerce business and he um, and I, I, uh, recommended or not recommended, I offered to help him for free, basically. So he's like, yeah, sure. I went down, he was living down South in the UK. I went and we spent a day or two together and I just helped him with everything I knew, Yanni. And, um, and I worked with him over time and eventually I helped him so much to the point where he gave me a share in the business and we became partners in that business. And I was just implementing everything I knew right in this business, which I didn't have to invest to start that business. I just invested my, you know, sweat equity, you know, my, my time and effort I invested. And because I helped him a lot, he, he offered me like to be a partner in that. And that was where I got all my uh, initial like skills of copywriting or running Facebook ads or 
um, even down to like logistics and supplier uh, suppliers like buying, s- sourcing the products from abroad and all of that. I learned a lot about that. And also from that business, I got to know my business partners today um, where we work together on Muslim CEO. So I don't want to go on too long, but, you know, this is kind of how I got into it. And uh, yeah. Mm, there's so many little subtopics I can pick out um, from that. But For first sure. of all, mm. uh, I apologize. I forgot to mention the book. So here's the book. It's called The Shepherd's Way. And I was reading mm-hmm. through it. Uh, mashallah, the full title or subtitle is The Muslim Man's Guide to Escaping the Comfort Trap, Attracting the Ideal Wife and Reclaiming His Purpose. And it's actually more of like um, with the masculinity element, there's also, it's just a general good self-development book. There's a lot of topics mm-hmm. that are beneficial and you've drawn on, obviously, your experience within the self-development world. And also, obviously, I'm just reading this from the back, drawing from the Quran, the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and works of great scholars of our religion. This book cuts through modern agendas and cultural baggage to ask the ultimate questions. What is the role of a Muslim man? How should he conduct himself? How should he interact with women? What's the right balance between humility and assertiveness? So it's very in at the moment. <clears throat> and there's very much mm-hmm. a need for it as well. So that's just about the mm-hmm. book that we're going to get into um, later on in the podcast. I just wanted to mention that. And first of all, mashallah, what an impressive thing to go into writing the book at this young age. So I just want to say like, mashallah for that. And it's uh, very inspirational. I was listening to your podcast on Freshly Grounded where I could see this was two years ago and you mentioned that you want to go into masculinity and like specialize somewhat mm. into that topic and to see it mm-hmm. fruition um, after like two years or one and a half years, mashallah, you deserve credit for that, mashallah. So um, just based on some of the things that you said, a, a couple of some themes that I want to just highlight for the audience and people who have been watching this podcast and project develop, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that they can, once they keep hearing the same lessons repeated, because obviously the knowledge is out there. We just need re- repetition and reminders oftentimes and like mindset shifts and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. clicks in different ways for different people. And over the last few guests, I had Brother Tanim Zaman on yesterday, which I, I need to upload. And they all have very similar stories in that they invested in something. There was like an intervention of some sort, because if you're in your your same bubble, obviously your results are going to mirror the people around you. So it's like, I find a lot of people are hesitant to make that step to like go outside their circle or exit the comfort zone, like you mentioned there. But that's where the growth is in terms of like overcoming that need or that desire to fit in, like not being scared. Mm-hmm. Imam Tom Fakin talks about that as well as the Muslim. You need to have that ability to like be strong within yourself so that you're not scared of like being the odd one out because otherwise it's going to impact on your practice. Um, so I wanted mm-hmm. to just highlight that and then um you had a perfect job for self-development i guess in that you were in a library so you could just read read a lot of books um would you say your journey into self-development started with that course that opened your mind to marketing and then you realized how much is out there and how much someone can grow from learning different things or how did your um like everyone has that initial point where they learn the first kind of personal development lesson mm-hmm. or something that has a big impact on them so what would you say that was for you I've not actually thought about what the first, my entrance into it was actually, Mm. but what comes to mind is actually Productive Muslim. Mm. Um, 
you know, Productive Muslim was very big back in the day in terms of everyone knew about it. It was a big blog. Blogging was big back then. And they were put, they put out a lot of free resources, a lot of um, blog posts, right? And they did webinars, I think, as well. Mm. Initially, I think those webinars, some of them were free as well. So I, I came across that material, but I, I feel like that was not the first time I'd come across something like that. Um, but where I, where I came across it initially, well, I really do not remember, you know, um, but, but productive Muslim comes to mind in terms of that was definitely in the early days that I, I heard about that. I probably, I had come across stuff like, uh, I think it's called getting things done, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's like one of the, um, classic, um, time management stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was a journey from before the, that seminar I attended, right? The whole business conference thing. It was before that. It must have been a year or two before that. Maybe in my last year of uni or something like that, I got into it. And to be honest with you, like, I don't know if I had, did I have a specific pain point around like, why would I, why was I getting into it? I don't remember that per se. I think it's just like the geek in me, you know? I'm just like interested. I'm quite obsessed with the efficiency. Um, I'm quite obsessed with that and like systems thinking. So I actually think there's something kind of, uh, I don't want to say genetic, but like yeah. something just in me. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm just in, because even my son, I see it in him uh, from, a, he's very young still. Yeah? yeah. But I see he's into like this whole like efficiency and like engineering mindset basically. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so yeah, the, the, those were the early days, you know, in terms of personal development. Yeah. Yeah. Much like it is obviously an element, everything's genetic. I think, the current research is like oh 50 percent of your personality depending on the different traits it ranges between 30 and 80 percent how much is genetic and i had a video previously about how like even having curiosity like say if you're naturally curious that's a big blessing that we get from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because essentially yeah like your dopamine system's being wired in a way where like acquiring new information gives you some a little buzz i guess that keeps you going i think for me yeah my uh, entry into self-development was first of all I got the internet relatively late at like 16 and before that I wasn't into books I think it was like I tried to read Harry Potter once when I was young and I could only get past like 40 pages mm. and the weirdly mm -hmm. enough it sounds silly to say this but <clears throat> I used to like not show off but I used to see it as a bit of pride like I used to say I've gone to uni and I got these grades and I haven't even read a book it sounds so stupid, <laughs> right? But that's the mindset you get, and it's something we have to get out of. Because even if you're in a small setting where you might be, you might be naturally talented or something, you're going to be limited. Like the further up you go, you realize that there's people out there who are naturally intelligent, and they're reading, and they're like into everything personal development. So it kind of wakes yes. you up. And I think one of the first books for me was. Um, something by that Robin Sharma guy. Um, but this was before I really mm. got into my, my path was first as I listened to interviews and stuff when I was about 21 or 19 and mm. then podcasts and then 24, I went heavily into books. Um, and then I was mm. just obsessed with that. I was living on my own uh, for work mm -hmm. uh, in a different town. And I was kind of living that monk life, uh, as they say, and just reading audio books all the time. I remember I came into mm. work once with like the earbud in and people were like, the guys in MI5 are like, just having a bit of a joke <laughs> and I was just I became obsessed with it I think you were somewhat similar and um mm, yeah. I wanted to there's a quote by 
Ryan Holiday spoke about it, where there's this general, and he says that there's so much knowledge out there in the form of books that if you're in a specific area, like say um, you have a kid, or say if you're an army general or whatever, right? If you're not making use of the resources that have been made available, it's kind of like negligence in a sense, because like the best people have put down their knowledge and you're not capitalizing on it. And obviously the biggest uh, example of that is in the Dean as well. Like we've been given so much knowledge and resources and now it's at our fingertips with like Hadith um, directories and everything else. And you even have these phonetic like Quran searches as well. Um, we just need to make use of it and apply it. So um, getting on to the next topic, bro, I think, yeah, you are different in the sense that I feel like you didn't have that cultural element of like, um, you had a different kind of cultural pressure. Everyone has different pressures, I guess. Um, yeah. So was it hard for you once you started on that self-development journey? Um how was it like, I know you've got a topic in your book as well about cultivating stronger friendships um, with men that you can trust, right? Or people that you can trust. So did that make a difference? Because for me, just to give context, firstly, I think it, it does make a difference because, you know, once you adopt certain mindsets and like you change your thinking on certain areas, like something like the growth mindset, once you've seen it, and then you go back to other people who are still complaining and like these other negative things. It's like a shock to the system and it kind of affects you how you interact with people. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, you know, I think the whole social side of things is my biggest weakness. Right. Um, and, and probably that's from my upbringing as well. You know, like I don't have any, well, I have one, Depends how far back you go, but I re I nearly have no friends that I'm in touch with now from school. I don't see them. I don't know them. It wh the way I grew up, it's like someone comes uh, new to the country. Um, you make friends with them. Maybe three years later, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Then another one comes. Three years later, they're gone. So you know, maybe that's part of why um, I'm like that. Um, but also, I think it's that whole. You know, you you see this in like Mark Zuckerberg or like Elon Musk. Like they're just too geeky to have social skills you know um so i feel like i suffer with that but that's something i've noticed is a big problem for me you know it's like it's limiting me um and the prophet he was extremely good with people you know extremely good so how can i neglect that especially like i thought uh because i coach people i'm like i can't coach people and not be good with people and not understand like emotional intelligence and these things so it's an area that you know i'm try, tried to be, try to work on recently and I, I need to still work on it um in terms of like yeah when you go through that paradigm shift like you said where you you can't unsee that um and then a lot of people around you maybe they haven't been through that paradigm shift um yeah i think um with the people that i was spending uh, the most time with either they were also into it or you know i was just like trying to help here and there um with what i knew mm. And I think with some of my, you know, the close people to me who needed this help so much, um, but as would be expected, you know, it's hard for, for, for them to take that on and to, to digest it. And there's sometimes there's a lot of complex things going on in their mind around, you know, like if I actually get rid of this anxiety or this depression, then there's another fear behind if I 
So it's like the fear of success kind of thing. Like if I succeed, oh, now everyone's going to expect more of me and that's scary. So I don't want to get better and all of those things, right? So I think I developed some level of empathy when dealing with close family members to me and this material that I learn. Um, I, I guess with that real life interaction, I did realize like, yeah, like not everyone wants this or not everyone's ready or sometimes just emotions are very complicated. You know, it's not a logical thing. It's not, it's not just one plus one equals two. You know, we're emotional creatures. Um, Allah made us that way. We can't ignore that. And I think people like me, we, we do tend to ignore that as a default and that's why I have to work on it. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, and you know, another thing I like maybe me and you are similar in this, like we're into this stuff for the sake of it. Yeah. Like we're just interested in it. Like how could I do this or how could I do that? But 90% of people, they would not get into it for that reason. And I don't blame them because even I would encourage people not to learn stuff for the sake of it. I would encourage people that go through life, have whatever your goals are. When you have a bottleneck, something barrier stopping you reaching a goal, now invest in learning in that area, right? Mm. Um, and sometimes when you learn for the sake of it, you're kind of just wasting your time, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there is some logic. Like if people aren't into personal development, I wouldn't tell them, no, no, be into it. I would say, okay, what do you want to achieve in your life? Okay, and what's stopping you? Okay, I don't know about whatever, emotional intelligence. I don't know my basic how to do with all. Okay, learn those things mm. to move forward rather than uh, pushing it as something to to learn for the sake of it, you know, or to get into it for the sake of it. So over time, I've come to realize, yeah, like, not everyone has to be like a geek about it like me, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, just on that, because I've tried to, it's hard because I consume, I'm a heavy consumer, as they say, and I'm trying to shift more mm -hmm. to like creating more content uh, instead of just consume because mm -hmm. you reach a ceiling, not a ceiling, but like um, a lot of it's the same stuff that gets recycled. And sometimes yeah. I'm listening to something because it's in my subscription feed or whatever, and I'm, I'm like, look, is this the most important thing I need to do right now? And because it's like productive procrastination, it feels good. Mm. And you're listening to someone smart talk about it and stuff. You kind of, but it's like what you said, it's like just in time, just in time information versus just in case information. And then that's like, a healthy, Absolutely. It's, it's very hard to execute, I find, but if you can hack that, then um, it's true. And then even when we talk about self-development, obviously this is a Muslim channel and I'm not going to repeat the basics as in we've got all the development within Islam. We've got all those sources and stuff. And I feel like just like when you find out someone's a Muslim, you have a shared set of beliefs and a shared identity, especially if they're practicing. Um, it's a similar, um, I don't want to make that comparison, but it's like when I find out someone's a Muslim and they're in self-development, I know there's going to be like connection points because they probably read the same key books like Four Hour Work Week and things mm -hmm. like that. And mm -hmm. just the reason I asked about uh, interacting with people and stuff is because I too struggled with that somewhat. Um, I think when I was younger, I was more extroverted. And then as I got older and I lived alone for a bit, it became like a trained introversion, which now I kind of look mm. back at quite fondly. Um, but the, for me, it was more clear cut because I was away from my hometown. Once I came back, I, you, you see the discrepancy more. And you have to be, mm. um, you have to be more emotionally intelligent as well, because I want your take on this, because I feel like I wasted time 
people are complex, like you said, and for people that aren't watching, I'm part of a course that um, Amin um, is one of the partners of that organization called Muslim CEO, and he has a module on mindset and like an impact journal, which is like amazing. Like, honestly, I even messaged you and I was like, this is amazing, right? Uh, just like Islamically aligned goal setting um, affirmations, that kind of stuff, right? That people on this channel really are into. And you have to be, um, show some humility because people are complex and they have different issues going on. But say when you've been yeah. listening to like podcasts on two times speed and stuff all day, and then you speak to someone, you just want to like, if they mention any issue and you just sort of run through it, like they might say, oh, yesterday I had bad sleep. And then you're like, why? And they're like, I don't know. And then you're like, well, have you tried this, 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 this? Have you, did you take this? And there's this supplement. And they're just like, some people are into it. But I don't know. It's, it's, and then I, re I feel like now I've started to take a different approach where it's like try to impact the people who are on the journey, which is why I'm focusing on Optimized Muslim Project, because um, mm. I come on to this. It's another shared topic that a few guests have had where working in the office type environment or even um, predicting how it will be, um, like the awkward interactions and like, interacting with the opposite gender and these kind of issues um and that was a turning point for them like young muslims who are practicing a lot for a lot of them it was like a turning point where it's like no i'd rather try and do something on my own or i'd ra rather try and optimize this situation because mm. i used to look at it from the perspective of dawah and if the shaitan comes to us all and we try and justify it like, oh even if this interaction Technically, it's not necessary. Like you go into the average office environment, and if there's loads of Muslims working, you ask yourself, how much of this is actually necessary? You know what I mean? And then the arguments about social norms. Yeah. But it's just a messy area. Um, I wanted your thoughts yeah. on that, and um, if that was like part of the reasoning behind like trying to do your own business and um, go into entrepreneurship. Um, it was part of it. Yes. Um, remember. Like I said, I was I was born in a Muslim, not born, I was raised in a Muslim country. I was used to being surrounded by Muslims. They come to the UK, and it's all a bit awkward. But <laughs> the fact that I consider Islam is the norm in my head, yeah? Islam is the norm, plus the fact that, <laughs> how do you say it? I'm quite a direct person. So sometimes those things combined, um, they brought, you know, strange results <laughs> strange especially in the uk you know maybe you know when you're they say uh when you're in the fishbowl you don't know you're in the fishbowl right the uk is one of the most indirect cultures in the world right people do not say stuff directly to each other so from every angle i was just different right like i'm muslim but then because i'm coming from the muslim world i'm like very openly muslim and then on top of that i'm very direct when everyone's indirect and all of this stuff. So, um, so that, uh, that, that wouldn't work well, but it was a good thing in terms of, um, being like openly Muslim, being proudly Muslim, being direct. You know, sometimes people say, Oh, I'm going to like give a cupcake to my coworker. And that's like my dawah. But what if you could just go and tell them about Islam? Like go tell them about it. Right. And it's like sometimes. I'm, I'm not like criticizing people because I've not done too much dawah in terms of going up to non-Muslim and talking to them about it per se. But sometimes it really just is go and tell them about Islam. You don't have to be so indirect about it. Um, but of course, 
in the UK, when you're a mi minority, when there's certain uh, culture going around, you know, th there is that feeling of like, okay, let me be indirect with everything, right? But me coming from not knowing that culture and just coming in, I was like more direct kind of thing. I remember there was this, uh, I was teaching in a school and there was a teaching assistant and she was uh, Swiss. So, you know, like the Swiss, I believe they're more, and a lot of the Europeans, they're more uh, still linked to Christianity than in the UK, right? So um, it was Christmas time and there were some of the teachers are giving presents, gifts. I think they gave me like a Christmas card and stuff. Um, of course, I didn't bring anything for them. Um, and and she was like, so that's the first like thing, right? The second thing was, um, so, you know, I was telling her like, uh, she, I think she might have asked me like, what are you doing for Christmas? I said, oh, I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm Muslim. And she's like, oh, okay, but like, you know, you can still celebrate. I'm like, no, no, you can't. I'm like... Um, <laughs> I, and then I started telling her, I started to explain to her that in Islam, like Chris, Christmas is linked to Christianity and Christ. And the idea that God could have a son, you know, is blasphemous to us, you know, and the, the sky wants to rip apart when it's said and all of that. I told her, like, this is how we view it. You know, I, I was being like polite about it, but I was just telling her straight up, like, it's not just some uh, celebrations, a chance to like, uh, go out with friends or whatever it is. It, like, I'm like, no, this is serious, Annie. So I like, but after I said that years later, when I realized how the UK culture is, I'm like, damn, that's very direct how I was with her. Like, I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, it's awful and it's blasphemous. And, and <laughs> I wasn't telling her in a way like, you're awful. I was saying to us, this is awful. So of course we wouldn't uh, celebrate it or get involved with it, you know, but that's like an example. Um, also, I think I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. Um, in school, I wasn't so much, but I became more of an introvert. So that's another reason why I would kind of more prefer to not, not, not just, uh, not work on my own, but work with people of my choosing more, you know? Um, although there is an immense benefit in being forced into situations where, uh, you, uh, where you, you don't want to interact with those people. That's where the growth happens, actually, I believe. But it's just, it would be better if it's not in such a compromising environment. Uh, when I was working in, uh, like a proper office job in marketing in, uh, the UAE, um, that was my, that was like my main experience of being in an office environment. And a lot of the people there were Muslim, but they weren't the most practicing Muslims or whatever. And that was a, a way now it's like now, okay, you've been like, like, I remember I just started that job and I was like, let me re-listen to seven habits of highly effective people. Right. And, and because I'm like, look, I've been like going through all this theory for years. Like, let me, let me now use it. Like I, I realized that I've been living a very, uh, bubble life, you know, um, not, like just learning stuff, implementing it here and there in my personal life. But the real implement implementation comes when you're going out to the world, you're like working or doing business or whatever it is. So um, I was like, this is the time to do that. So, you know, I start to try and do that. I start to think, okay, when I'm listening to the book, I've got a real application in mind of where, where I'm going to use this and how I could use this. Um, I think it was a bit, I was obviously immature in my learning, you know, even after years of going through different material, I was immature because I got fired from that job. And I would say largely because of my, um, how, what's the opposite of intelligence, uh, emotional idiocy, let's say, or stupidity, right? Like I just, I just didn't get it. You know, I came in uh, naively thinking that, okay, they hired me because uh, I was like social media manager. They hired me to explode their social channels, do a great job, make them lots of money, um, if they let me do advertising, that's what I've got experience in. So I, let me make them a good return on their spend or whatever they're spending on their ads and all of that. But, but 
on further reflection later, I'm like, they didn't want that at all from me. You know, they wanted me to just come and do as I was told, mm. but I didn't have that insight to know that like, I didn't have. And so this is the difference between theory and, and practical implementation, you know, because I'm sure if I had been in a job and consuming that material, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got fired perhaps, or I would have, I just, would have just dealt with it way better, you know? Um, instead, I, you know, I, I did the most stupid stuff, like geeky stuff. Okay. I walk in the office, I get my laptop. I just go to work. I say, I say good morning, whatever to people, but I'm like, okay, I'm here to work. Let me work. Right. They're paying me to work eight hours. Let me work eight hours. Right. Meanwhile, all my coworkers are ch chit chatting in the background. Right. So that's the normal thing. Right. But for me, I'm like, no, they're paying me to work. I got to work. I'm just going to do my work and then I'll be gone at five on the dot. Right. Which again is a, another thing that's not that common. Right. Um, and another thing is because they're chit chatting, I'm like, no, I need to focus. So what I do is I put earphones in and I play white noise. Yeah. <laughs> so the most, the most like weird, like what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Um, kind of stuff going on. But again, I, you know, that, that comes down to, um, that's the difference between theory and practice. Yeah. And when the HR manager, when she was like firing me, she said, you know, from what we've observed, maybe it's better like you do your own thing, you know, because I'm sure you're good at what you do, but basically she's saying, you don't do that. You come in here, you do what you're told. You don't do what you think is best, mm -hmm. which was best, but so be it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's probably part of, we shouldn't, you shouldn't look, uh, I'm sure you self-analyze this more than obviously me, but you shouldn't look too negatively on that because that's part of what makes you that oftentimes our good qualities are like two-edged swords so on the one hand that focus and stuff it obviously helps you um in other aspects of your life more than it detracts from them and it's funny when you mentioned the white noise because i had similar things like i feel like i played the game a bit more at the start you know just to get in the door mm -hmm. and stuff um exactly and, i should have done yeah that, as yeah. much as i could but then once i was a bit more established um and i was into this i remember in my lunch break i used to have a full routine like read a couple of reminders <clears throat> and then go over some arabic vocab and then i used to try and do a 10 minute power nap <laughs> and there was like a sofa in like the canteen room and my lunch break was one hour after everyone else's it just happened at the start and i preferred that because i was on my own afterwards and i used to mm. put white noise on and try and get 10 minutes in and because i was so tired it used to work and i used to come back refreshed but mm -hmm. afterwards, my mm -hmm. manager and stuff is Muslim. They used to like be like this guy, like, and uh, what you've got in your headphones. I was like, it's white noise. And they were like, what? What's that? And they're like, you're never gonna get married. What is white noise? Yeah, and um, <laughs> it's just funny the that you mentioned that in a sense because just to the person looking from the outside, they see this guy like pacing up and down with headphones in, like, and they're like, what the hell? But Alhamdulillah, I guess um, I wrote down a couple of things about you know you mentioned that just in time case about how you reopen the seven mm. habits which is like a seminal self-development kind of book and that's key because mm. i was listening to hormozy recently and he was mentioning how he doesn't consume that much but the books that he does read he like reads as in like he studies them and one of them is seven habits of highly effective people and i'm also gonna try and study his book more because he's done it on the basis of studying Robert Cialdini's work. I don't know if you've heard of him yeah. or them pre-suasion books. Yeah, one of the first yeah. books, yeah. So he's proper like I wrote, read. Um, squeezed all of that and he's put it into his and you can see it in all of his content and stuff as well. 
So, um, mm-hmm. and most of the lessons in that, similar lessons in Islam, like give your attention to someone when you're speaking, smile more, listen first, um, give credit where it's due, yeah. all these things. I think one of the first practical um, senses for me was to get out of this culture of like backbiting and stuff. I remember I was in the office once and um, I just read about the fundamental attribution error, which is like, uh, which is proper sick if you think about it. And in Islam, you have give excuses to people. And the idea with that is, say if you're um, in a shop and you're about to check out and the cashier is like in a bad mood, right? And you put your stuff there and you're in like a good mood and you expecting some like a smile or something and they just very matter of fact to do the stuff and you go and then in your mind or you might tell someone <clears throat> that stuff like look how bad attitude they have or something but you'd as- ascribe their bad quality to their person you'd say this person is like upset person negative person like or in they might be mardi mm-hmm. right whereas if it was yourself we switch it to the circumstance. So if we have like a bad interaction, mm. we'd say like, oh, I had a bad day. I had an argument. I was tired. I only slept three hours. Whereas if you switch that and I was in the office listening to someone and they were sat in front of me and we kind of had this chat. So like it wasn't random. And I was like, this is that error as in like, you're not giving if it, if it was you in that spot. And that was the first kind of switch for me. Um, mm. But I can see how mm. it is annoying. as in like, it can be a bit annoying because people are expecting you to just chip in with the nice little backbite and then when you like it, it can come off as a bit like you have to be a bit smart with how you say it I guess um sometimes yeah and um, but also that's like part of having a backbone and having a, a character um and that's part of being Giani, a Muslim like to to have the ability to stand up and not all not always just blend in mm. right and that's that's part of what makes you special as a Muslim and if you can't do that then you've got to question your uh, I guess it's like kind of linked to your level, your level of iman at, at that time, at least, right? It's like, are you gonna like? It's time to pray, yeah. Are you going to pray? Let's say you got to pray in front of people, in, in front of your colleagues, or whatever. Are you gonna pray because you've got to pray, and it's it's what um, it's Allah's right that you pray, um, or are you gonna allow like people's view of you to like? Oh, I'm gonna blend in. Oh, maybe yeah. I found this one fatwa where I could like join prayers, and they, you know what I mean. So I think the default for a Muslim is the way our deen and our attitude and our perspective on life is built, where it's like there are certain things we don't care what anyone thinks. We're going to do that, you know. Um, that's very powerful part of and it's built into the, the deen, you know. Mm, yeah. And just one final point on the dawah element is um, if you assess it afterwards, you know, these indirect soft interactions, I realize that oftentimes... Uh, if I, <coughs> excuse me, if I look back on the experiences, how many people would I say were impacted by that? Not very many. I think like how many non-Muslims or even Muslims that weren't practicing after so many interactions were actually impacted. Like you can't really assess that, but me just observing them years later, I'm like, they're still the same person, and I did it with the right intention but was it the best use of my energy and time? So I'm, that's why I'm kind of doing this switch, I mm. guess, because mm. that kind of plays yeah. on my mind. We don't know. Mm. I mean, the guidance in the hands of Allah, but, and you don't know, Yanni, sometimes you have to be subtle and sometimes mm. more direct, but I think if you're never direct, then that may be something to question. Yeah. So moving on, um, 
I wanted to ask you about this topic of masculinity for Muslim men. It's um, yeah. I had a podcast with uh, Ustad Gabriel Romani in January 2020, and um, mm. that's when it first started coming on like the social media scene. This whole topic um, that I was mm-hmm. aware of, probably going on before that, but that's when it started becoming more of a thing. There was a bit of like um, issues of some Islamic speaker saying one thing that was seen as like. Um, not masculine and there's that's when it kind of started and i remember asking him about it and stuff as well mm. so is that why what was the um starting point behind deciding to write a book or deciding to go into this area of um, masculinity for muslims and why is it a problem um do you see um amongst muslim men i think it's, it's a personal it's a personal thing for me because you know, like some of the examples I give in the beginning of the book, um, like I was that loser, you know, um, I was that loser. I'm still a loser in many ways, but I was that uh, archi- archetype of a loser um, in terms of low confidence, not much ambition, um, kind of meek, you know, not very assertive. Um, and I don't know, like you could say, like I went through depression you could say i don't know if it's really depression but ve- feeling very down yani feeling very down not feeling very sure of myself and all of this stuff i went through it i went through all of that um i also went through like feeling under attack um by the feminist uh, worldview or feminist um culture that that has you know got stronger and stronger over the time especially yani the modern version of feminism and i think like it all um accumulated or you know it came together in my time on twitter right so i used to be on twitter i don't have twitter now but i was on twitter for a few years and you know when i was like in uh in the uni and stuff like that was a bit of an outlet like a bit of a social outlet it's one of those fake um fake outlets where it's like you have a need so whatever your need is to to eat, you have a need to to nourish yourself, but then you eat fast food. You still feel full up, but you're not nourished, right? You have a need for intimacy, but you go and watch these videos. So it's like the fake version of socializing and having real relationships is going on like a social media platform and using that as an alternative, right? And so I guess that's what I was doing at that time. Uh, but what that did is it it put me in touch with the British Muslim British Muslims. Like I don't really know about them. I didn't. I didn't really have, I know many people from the UK, Muslims and all that. I didn't know how it worked, but I came, you know, when I was still in UAE, I still hadn't moved to the UK yet. Um, I started to discover what they're like. And then that, that started my five year or whatever time that I was on Twitter. And, you know, I, I, I got so annoyed at some of the things I used to see from the sisters there and it just felt wrong to me. And I, I used to, I must've gotten so many stupid arguments, you know, uh, how Twitter is. Um, you must have just argued, and this was probably, you know, I call it the golden age. It's not really good, but it was the golden age of like Muslim Twitter. There was like a, a group of people, and we kind of half knew each other, and we would like uh, discuss, argue, this and that. And, but, but I, I, I used to argue with people about this. Like, I was very like anti feminist, and I was brought up in a traditional way. But this was the, this is the killer bit is when it came down to it, really, like if, if someone was to bring me on a podcast like this or whatever to discuss it, I, don't, I didn't really have a coherent argument around what's wrong with feminism or 
what, why you should treat a man like this and all of this. I didn't really know. So that was where I started thinking, look, firstly, deep down, you know you're a bit of a loser. Secondly, um, you, you're mad at these people, but you can't actually argue with them that well. So I was like, yeah, if I believe there's something fundamentally wrong with the way the world is going and the culture is going and the way men are going as well, then I need to look into this. And I remember I had a really good conversation with a friend of mine and we were, we, we got into this topic of writing books and we're like, you know what, if you write a book, then it forces you to research. It forces you to write out a coherent argument. It forces you to like double check everything. And then if you just wrote that like one book, yeah, if you wrote the one book, yeah, and you should have plenty of material. Then you've got all this solidified material that you can go out there and speak about with some confidence because you've researched it properly. And you don't have to be like a alim in the Islamic sciences, you know, spend three, four, five years studying in Medina or Azhar or whatever it is, or even in the UK. You don't have to do that to write one book on one specific topic, even if it relates to Islam. If you go very specific, you will be able to do that as long as you do your research properly, right? So that's what I set out to do. I'm like, look, if there's really is a problem here, if I'm really mad at these feminists, let me uh, write this book. Let me do the research. And even if the, maybe people won't really read the book, you know, books, book reading is like not that big amongst like younger people, but it'll be worth it just for the research. So I went ahead and did that. And I think the thing that really kicked me to do it um, because I'm not much of a writer per se, but um, I did a, a crowdfunding campaign and that um, I raised money, like it was like £3,000, which was plenty just to get the job done. And um, that pushed me because that's like accountability now. Like they've given you money. Now you have to go out and do it. You have to do a good job, all of that. And because of that money, Handle, I was able to like invest in an editor and um, these people that would do a job, like take it from rubbish writing to like decent writing, you know? So um, I, I got that accountability. I finished the book. It took me longer than I wanted it to take, but I guess that happens with all books. And um, that's where I am today, where I've got this book. And, you know, alhamdulillah, I can confidently, like, give it out to people. People pick it up. And I feel like it will help them. It will give them a balanced view on the Islamic uh, worldview of, towards masculinity and how men should act, how they should conduct themselves, how they should think of themselves, how they should think of women. Um, and as I was writing it, this whole red pill movement came, became more, I became more aware of it. And like, it's like more like the non-Muslims movement in terms of how men should act. And, you know, there's plenty of good stuff in that, but I also saw a lot of problems in that and Muslims lapping it up. So I was like, okay, interesting. Now there, we've got these two extremes. We've got the feminism, we got the red pill. Now I guess I slot somewhere in the middle, you know? So, um, yeah, that's the idea. Okay. How long ago was this realization of, um, you know, when you were on Muslim Twitter and you had this idea about writing a book um, or that realization that I need to learn about this? And then how long mm. ago did you finish the book? So the whole Twitter thing must have, I must have closed my Twitter account, I want to say 2017. Mm. And it was in my time on Twitter where those those feelings surfaced um those arguments happened mm. but i didn't do much about it but it was probably in 2019 when i realized hmm, maybe i could like do a book and i could like kind of specialize and focus on this topic mm. 2019 then i probably started it properly in 2020 
And then it was probably done like 18 months after that or something. Mm, not sure, yeah. So, in- so about, I think, it, I, I think like I, I first printed it like six months ago, nine months ago, something like that. Mm. And I think your marketing knowledge and expertise helped with like the website and the marketing element and the crowdfunding. So you can see how those beneficial skills start stacking, um, isn't it? So absolutely moving um, more into the book. It's funny when you mentioned um, with a slight smile, if I'm correct in perceiving, when you said you interacted with like the UK Muslims and how they are because. I immediately went to them three archetypes that you've got in the book that kind of made me laugh mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, Imad, the Alpha, and uh, Umar under the Thumb or, or something like that. And um, yeah, so talk, it rings true because we all, I feel like we see that archetype um, in society around us and people that broadly yeah. fit into those. Um, you, you mentioned red pill. What are the, what would you say? are the points that we can agree with and this might be a bit of a difficult question but um the points that we can agree with and the points that as muslims we can't agree with yeah that's a big topic you're right not, um, okay, i did like not let's yeah. say not the, um, as many points just some key points let's say or, or one key point yeah i don't want to uh it's hard to be general with red pill because I am aware that there are different offshoots on of it. And so I don't want to like say, Oh, this is one point that they, they make, but it's only one portion of the group, but I'll try my best. I, I did a podcast on this, on the mind highs podcast, Yanni, and I think that was quite like thorough and good, but okay. So what can we agree with them? Um, we can agree that men are different to women. Men have different roles than women. Um, we can also agree that women think differently to men and uh, the way you communicate with women should be different and you need to um, change your approach when you're talking to a woman, when you're dealing with a woman, when you're trying to whatever convince a woman of something. It's different when you're dealing with a man. Um, they, of course, they apply that more to, to like how to pick up women and stuff like that a lot of the time. But, you know, the same basic principle would apply with your wife, with the potential spouse, with your sister with someone you're volunteering in the same group as or whatever um in terms of yeah men and women are different they think differently um they have this whole concept of you know the what's it sexual market value and all that Mm. i think there that's probably an area we would disagree strongly with them on which is like there's this there's a there's a market out there for like mating or marriage or dating or whatever they talk about and it's like with Muslims, it kind of doesn't always apply. It partially applies, but it doesn't always apply. So they are obsessed with, you know, it, it's like very fits perfectly, almost too perfectly into this very hedonistic, materialistic worldview, um, almost atheistic worldview, where it's like the purpose of life for a man is to accumulate the most wealth, the most women, um, and the most like status as possible. Status amongst people, of course. And, you know, if that's the starting point for them, for how they think about um, dating or marriage or relationships, then I think, you know, you can see how we're going to go. We're going to depart from the way they think very quickly because, okay, so for us, um, women, I mean, women is, women is like a significant part of life for a man, right? Um, some, 
a lot of men, they, they just can't get on with life until they just sorted that part of their life out. You know, they got married and stuff. So that's fair enough. But we don't make our goal women or to accumulate the most women that we've even married, never mind like dated and all that, right? Um, for us, like like Allah says, it's like a woman, a wife, you know, it could be a, a, a mata'a, like it's a, it's a useful thing in the dunya, something good in the dunya, something even to enjoy in the dunya, but it also could be a distraction. So, you know, we don't make it our number one goal in life, but it, it could be a great thing uh, uh, to have a family, to have kids, to be the leader of, of that group of, of people. Um, but we, we just don't make it like the main thing. And really, we, we, Yanni, what are we really going around looking at our friends or other people and be like, yeah, that guy's, that guy's sick. He's got four wives versus one wife. Like, re- does it really make you like better, like objectively? No, uh, we can't really say that. Then we get onto money. So this is a, probably the number one thing after women that they focus on. And again, we know uh, money, rizq is qadr from Allah that Allah gives you. And you could implement the best strategies and you'll still make whatever Allah wrote for you. Um, although you do have to strive because that's what's expected of you. You have to implement, you have to work the best way that you know to work. Okay, re- if I want to make, for a good reason, I want to make 50K a month, I need to reasonably do the work that would get me that, okay? But then whether that happens or not, that's in the in the hands of Allah. So with money, we can't associate um, your value in the eyes of Allah or in the eyes of people, really, with uh, having a lot of money, because, you know, you could tr- do everything it takes and still not get money. Um, we just, we need money to live. We need money to achieve some good things. So we just do whatever's reasonable, but it doesn't define your value, right? Because especially the number one reason is the Prophet ﷺ was not a wealthy person, yeah? The Prophet ﷺ, he rejected having lots of wealth. Yeah, he had the chance to have it, he didn't. And we have uh, companions who were very wealthy and those who were not wealthy and they both have the highest status. So that, that tells you very clearly that in a Muslim's worldview, being rich is not like something that would elevate your status per se. What will elevate your status is if Allah gives you money, how you spend it. And if Allah doesn't give you money, how you react to that, right? And also how you spend the little money you do have, right? So that's like the money element. It's not the number one goal for us. It can be helpful, but it's not like the number one goal. The third element, (coughs) um, what did I say? Uh, Oh, status. Status, again, what the, the, you know, the red pill movement, they focus on status amongst other men and amongst women. You know, you've got to be that man that every woman wants and every woman is attracted to. And she's just like begging for you to like give her some attention. And amongst men, you've got to be that guy, you know, you've got that, um, you know, that body, you've got that car, you've got that watch. And, uh, therefore they're going to respect you and look up to you and all of that. And, you know, um, status amongst people is, we know it's not important versus status with Allah, right? That's what we focus on as Muslims. And so, you know, even I was just looking at hadith the other day. And there's that hadith of the two wolves. I don't want to misquote it, but it's basically there is nothing, uh, uh, two wolves on uh, like attacking a herd of sheep is more dangerous for a man's deen than uh, wealth and a a passion for wealth and and status and high status. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but seeking status and fame is a big, big problem. It's a big, big problem. Um, and so how can we seek status in the way that these guys kind of promote? And so with all of these three things, there's some element, there's some truth to it in terms of how we would apply it. <coughs> Sorry, but 
the way that they chase it as their number one, like these three things I mentioned, I think is a good summary of like, their whole thing is improve yourself to get the most of these three things. Mm. Now, what do I say? I'm like, I don't even want those three things as a biggest, highest goal, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's beautifully explained. Just a couple of things come to mind about how, obviously, we have the ayah, inna akramakum atfakum, like the most honored amongst you is the one with the most taqwa. And yeah, what comes to mind is essentially a Muslim should be playing a different game. So they're not even chasing the mm -hmm. same things. I think they have like looks, money and status, but it's all within like the Western liberal secular paradigm Like it works to a degree within that. And I think where the issue for Muslims is because they've adopted this system, right? And they're living in this system. They see the parallels because even um, I kind of agree with Daniel Hakika do on this, where he says, like, if you have the base level of understanding where you can decipher the right from the bad, um, then you can take elements from it. But if you don't even have the base and your Akidah and stuff is going to get affected, then obviously you need to um, tackle that first. But in terms of like uh, hypergamy, they talk about a lot. And that's this thing mm. about how um, females or women, they generally marry upwards or on the same level as them. And then mm -hmm. there's also, but what you mentioned about how it doesn't apply to Muslims, I think um, I might be wrong on this, but I think it's called homogamy, where it's like people generally like to marry within the same social or cultural group, because it's like you, yeah. you could get someone who's higher, in, let's use those terms, looks, money and status, but they're not Muslim they're not going to succeed mm. in like the Muslim marriage market <laughs> compared to just a Muslim with lesser. So there's another element Absolutely. where the problems arise, like I was mentioning, where you know how you have like these apps now where they try to use the same thing as uh, these non-Muslim apps where it's like swiping and it's a completely different psychology that now studies are coming out on, on how it skews like the, um, skews the potential for people and how obviously people are assessing just based on looks primarily. And then that causes an issue. And say if a Muslim, a young Muslim is on these apps, like, um, let's say, Muzmatch or something, where it's that same system of, like, swiping and stuff, then they, that's where they see parallels because that's when they see the link that, look, if someone is um, showing off, like, more looks, money, status, they seem on the surface to get that lower level of success more than someone who's, like, um, sat yeah. there with, like, a spear in his hand kind of thing, right? So... I think that's where the um, difficulty arises. What do you think? Because um, I am conscious of the time as well, and uh, there's so much to get through. So this is why there's all of this is covered um, in, in this book in mm -hmm. terms of like, you've got 18 different secrets and the kind of like sub subtopics, um, enemies of masculinity, how both feminism, red pill movement didn't, don't work for Muslim men. You go into all of that. Um, the number one trait of a real Muslim man, how to develop it, um, the trait you need to lead your family. And it's all backed by, I was reading through it, uh, different quotes from Muslim scholars and hadith of the Prophet So obviously we're only touching, we can only touch on some of these things because of mm. limitations of time. Um, in terms of a Muslim looking to get married in the West, what would be your advice there in terms of like, because um, I'll uh, preface it with this 
I've started to think that, say, you're second generation or second generation immigrant, I think it's worthwhile, and I might get hate for this, um, is Muslim men, they look towards the traditional cultures that they have some connection with through their parents or through their culture. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these factors that do affect um, the dynamics, female-male dynamics of like hypergamy, you get that just by going east. And I think a lot of non-Muslims are starting to do that, but obviously they're not Muslim and they go to like different countries in like the Far East and stuff. But I feel like for a Muslim man in the UK who's like average kind of everyday Muslim, that that is a good option. Um, what would you say on that? And just your general thoughts on that topic. <clears throat> I mean, in general, bro, um, when it comes to getting married, I think it's it's it's... Although it's difficult, I understand because I was this person, it's difficult not to obsess over getting married when you're not married, you know, and you really want to get married. Um, but you'll be far better off if you don't obsess over it. But what do you do with that gap, you know? Um, and I think it's easier to obsess over it when you've got a bit of an empty life, you know, maybe you work, but then you do nothing else. Or you're at uni and you've got a lot of free time. It's easier to just um, go down YouTube rabbit holes and stuff like that. But fill your life with things that are going to benefit you in the dunya, in the akhirah. And when you benefit yourself, you're going to become more attractive as a spouse as well by default. But if you do these things for the sake of Allah, then the added benefit is you get all this reward for it. And um, Allah is the one ultimately who can give you the amazing wife, right? You might feel hopeless. You might feel, where am I going to go to find someone who will accept me on whatever this low salary or uh, accept me with uh, this height or whatever um, but ultimately, Allah can bring you that wife. And, to, you know, so you need to make your dua to Allah. You need to trust in Allah. You need to get closer to Allah, do istighfar and all these things that will get you, you know, you know, try and please Allah. And then Allah will help you out. Allah will support you. Um, that's like an overall message I give is, for example, yeah, you're working on your finances, whether it's your career or business or you're still in your studies and you're going to go into your career. Think of why am I doing that? Like, do that so that I want to have a family to raise children that are going to be Sadaqah Jariya for me, to be the next generation of Muslims that are going to revive the Ummah, this and that. I want to um, <clears throat> have a halal outlet for myself with a wife. I want to I want to actually benefit my wife in terms of uh, sh the day she marries me and five years later she's going to be a better person because she married me, yeah? Um <clears throat> And, and I want to make money to give more. I want to be more charitable. I want to um, help my parents out. If you have all these different intentions behind why you, you, you're working on your money, then that's a, that's a good you know um, way to spend your time and effort and all of that. And you're not like saying, I need to do it so I can get married. And so all, everything is leading to getting married. Mm. Because then you just put like all your eggs in one basket and you just focus too much on that thing. So when it comes to money, for example, do it for all those multiple reasons, you know, and do it ultimately, uh, relay it back to how, you, how it's going to please Allah. Then when it comes to like, um, I don't know, let's say some guys, I mean, I don't know if they really do this, but some guys might go to the gym to work out because they think it will improve their marriage prospects, right? So again, why are you doing that? Yani, is, is a good Muslim really going to be like that obsessed with your looks and like, you know, you're going to be showing her your topless photos or something for her to be, you know, impressed by that. Not really, right? So what is the real, a good reason to get in shape and exercise 
um, that would work out whether it helped you get married or not. Okay, well, it's good to just be prepared and be kind of strong. Um, Allah loves the strong believer more than the weak believer, and there's good in them both. Okay, that's another reason. Okay, um, if I need to stand up for anyone, I'm ready, I feel more prepared. Um, It's good for my kind of mental health, my confidence to be healthy. So do these things. Like part of the reason will be to improve your marriage prospects perhaps, but have other reasons and don't make it all to do with marriage. And the other thing is don't consume um, material about marriage and all this red pill stuff because while I've seen it affect people, people message me, they're saying, bro, man, I feel like I, I don't know how I'm going to get married. All the women are like X or like Y. I'm like, how do you know that's true that they're all like that? This This guy, whoever you've been listening to on YouTube, he's telling you they're like that. But is that is that backed by like real numbers? Is that statistically significant? Is it blah blah blah? Like it's just stories and anecdotes of women. And even if five percent of the Muslim women in the UK were like that, that might add up to thousands of women. So there'll be plenty of stories about those. But then there's ninety five percent others. So watch out for going down and following these channels or podcasts or whatever it is where they're going to fill your mind with stuff that makes you feel bad, feel negative, feel hopeless, right? Mm. And you could say, no, no, this is the truth. Is it the truth though, really? Is it really the truth? Because most of the guys that are talking about women are like this and women are like that, these are guys that are mixing with women that you wouldn't want to marry anyway. So their experience of women is not even relate to the women you would go after, right? Um, and I, I do think, like from what I hear, you know, there's plenty of women in the UK who have been heavily influenced by uh, the feminist, feminist outlook on life which what I've realized recently, Adil, it's like feminism is just the female branded version of individualism. You know, it's like individualism, but repackaged and branded specifically for women. But it's kind of like follows the same principles, right? Like focus on yourself, everything's selfish and blah, yeah. blah, blah. So yes, there, there are plenty of women that have been influenced by that. But Eve, firstly, you only need one, okay, to get started anyway, you only need one, right? <laughs> secondly, um, se- secondly, uh, if even if 50% are like heavily in, uh, influenced by that, well, those are not the ones you're going after. You're not going to propose to them and like get rejected or have arguments with them because, uh, or you're going to marry them and then have issues and get divorced. That won't happen because you're not looking for those kind of uh, women. You're looking for the other 50% or whatever who have the same view of life and of gender roles of and how a family should be as you. And, you know, maybe you need to do certain things, go to certain places to find those people. But um, it's worth it, of course, you know, uh, because, yeah, like marrying someone who has completely different view of, for example, gender roles to you, I can see how that would be, it will be worth not, not getting married at all than doing that, of mm. course. Um, what were you mentioning about marrying from like outside of the West, maybe? You were talking about that, right? Um, I have thought about that a lot, you know, and I think it could definitely be an option for people. But it's just that people have to know um, that different cultures create different norms, like I, I define a culture as a norm, you know, I've mentioned this many times, like, cause I've thought about it a lot about culture and stuff. And a culture just means a norm, what you consider normal. Okay. So for example, in some countries, the man takes the bin out. In other countries, the woman takes the bin out just for a stupid example. Right. Um, you need to know what, if you go to marry someone from Pakistan or from Morocco or whatever, you need to know what these women expecting. What do they consider um, to be a man's job? And what you'll find is that, yeah, these women met, might be more like, uh, whatever word you want to use, you know, they might be more submissive. They might be more openly like respectful to you, but they'll expect more from you as well. You know, mm. they don't expect that you do nothing. Um, 
They, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe in other cultures I know, like Arab cultures, um, women expect um, more from men, you know. In the UK, there's a lot of influence of this 50-50 and all of that. But in like the Arab world, for example, like a lot of the women, they're like, what, you asking me to do something that's outside of the house? Like, what, are you a woman or you want me to be the man? Like, you know what I mean? So um, you've got to take that into account. You've got to basically like, Man up, take full responsibility. And I think the main thing for marriage is for you to have the same values, same culture in terms of what you expect, what's you know, normal to you, um, what you're aiming for, um, and those kind of things. Mm. And like the, all those chemistry things or even attraction to a level, all those things can work out if you have the same view of like how a family should be run in general terms, Yanni. Yeah, definitely. Very comprehensively put, mashallah. I was just thinking about what you said. One message that I give to the brothers is that take it upon yourself. And that's part of one of the lessons in the book as well. Um, to take responsibility and like develop yourself. And if you actually focus on it, it doesn't take long. Like you can change a lot of things in six months if you go into it properly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, you have to kind of because um, you have horror stories on both sides and one message that I, I've been thinking about that I want to give is that don't be fooled by what you see on social media because on social media you're getting a very minute snapshot of people because if you were to psychoanalyze people um, who even put themselves on social media in terms of putting out content um, whether male or female but let's just say females they're going to be of a particular makeup. You, you're not seeing the 99.9% .9 that don't even want to show themselves on social media, right? And so yeah. basically you're seeing a magnified version of that 0.1% that are going to start coming on. They might make videos about feminism and teaching others, but that's, that's um, coloring your impression. And then it goes back to controlling mm -hmm. your company, controlling your online company, offline company, what you're putting in your head. Um, and... <laughs> It's like what you said, like for me, this thing about height, um, Alhamdulillah, for, for, for whatever reason, that was never in my mind as even a consideration like that people look at, right? Yeah. And, um, but then, because I'm of like average height, and, but then once I realized that men, for some reason, they're so obsessed with it and they think it's such a massive factor, um, Alhamdulillah, like it never, it never affected me, but I can see because I used to hear people like years ago talk about like I'm insecure about my height and I was like okay I can understand if you're like really below average but like I didn't get it I didn't get it and nowadays everyone's like oh you have to be six foot two or something right and yeah. it's just a silly kind of mindset to adopt <clears throat> and um yeah but if, if people hear this enough that oh women won't go for a guy who's uh, any shorter than six foot or whatever if you keep hearing that again and again you know it kind of fills your mind with that and then that's where the insecurity probably comes from and all that yeah so yeah um definitely i think we're getting close to our time so um i don't mm -hmm. want yeah. i don't want to drag it on too long i think it was a great discussion we touched on a wide range of topics and once again, I link all of the relevant links and also the book. A good thing about the book, actually, that people might not know is that in the UK, if you're in the UK, you get the book for free. You just pay for shipping. And I think it costs like 350 yes. or something, if I'm not correct, if I'm correct. So 
Yeah, exactly. So the book, um, no matter where you are, I'm actually giving it out for free. Um, and you just pay for the shipping. So the shipping will be different wherever you are in the world. And that's just like, I just thought, look, I'll, the information is very important to get out there. Um, I do, you know, the, the coaching and the stuff that I do, I do try and run it as a business. But for this, I just thought, look, it's a business with a purpose, you know, with, a, inshallah, a benefit behind it for people. And I thought, look, like people don't make money out of books anyway. So it's like if I charge, if I make a profit on this book, all it does is make it less accessible to people. And then I'm not even going to make a useful amount of money out of that anyway. Right. So that's why I just thought, look, let's put it out for free. Let people get get that at least that base level of good information from the book. And then if they want to do something like whatever coaching with me or whatever I put out in the future, okay, then that can like that could be more of an investment, but let's get the base level information out there, inshallah. That's the idea. How come you didn't put it on Amazon? Um... <laughs> well, some, uh, someone's telling me, you know, put it on Amazon. I can't believe it's not Amazon. <laughs> yeah, because, if it's not on Amazon, it's not I'll a real you, book. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, bro, but I'll tell you one thing. Like, I have very few books that are, uh, the, the Islamic books that I can't get on uh, Amazon. Um, the rest are all on my Kindle, like hundreds. And because I don't like having physical books because then it ruins, like I like to have it all on there and um, it makes it more accessible. Yeah. Like, you know, even if you do the 99p thing, it's kind of like free, I guess, because yes. you don't have to worry about delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did have a plan to put on Amazon at some point. I'm just not in a big rush because what I want is I want people to uh, come to the website via somewhere where they find me so they know a little bit about me they buy the book um i've got their email address i can contact them after that i can um reach out to them with anything um mm. and also what happens after you because you bought the book right so what happens after that is i can offer you other things so all these things you can't do on amazon i can't i can't contact people afterwards i can't offer them other things um and also like amazon's going to take like 15 percent and all that so I might put on Amazon just for the search factor where people who don't know me might find it. Mm. But I think I would have to put it as a normal price book of that uh, if I did on Amazon. Mm. But um, but yeah, I'm sure some people, I mean, it's definitely worth a normal price book, yeah. of course. Um, and so I'll, I'll do that, inshallah, at some point. It's just um, I wanted to have that uh, connection with people to be able to communicate with them and stuff like that. So I did it through my own kind of setup. Yeah, because then like the core audience will connect directly, I guess. So it gives you a better foot, like a better foundation in that way as well. Okay. Jazakallah um, yeah. for your time. And um, if there's oh, yeah. anything else that you'd like to add, uh, feel free to do so. Is there any questions that you felt like um, I didn't ask that you want to answer or something that I missed out that you think is quite important? Mm, I don't think so. I think Jazakallah khair for having me on. It was a good conversation, you know, about... You know, subhanAllah, even the thing you said about the power nap is I used to do the same thing in the, but I used to do it in the car park, like underground car park. That's I used to sleep it. in my uh, break. Yeah. 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 Um, in the, at least no one was seeing me and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, you know, how the similarities we have. Um, I don't think I have anything to say more, Yanni. Maybe we could do a part two where we go focus purely on masculinity mm -hmm. and these kind of different traits or whatever. But, um, yeah, for everyone listening, you know, pick up the book. Um, you can just go to, it's in the description, right? We go to the, the shepherdswaybooks.com and uh, I'm putting out regular videos uh, for Muslim men. And one thing maybe I'll add, uh, Adil, is 
I've moved away from like I used to have per, uh, personal development, you could say YouTube channel, even website and all of that, Sarah Masters, all that. And I moved away from that. And I think what I realized is I was doing that stuff for me. You know, I'm into this stuff. So I was making videos for me. I would like to watch those videos. I like making those videos. I like that the website, the topic of it all was for me. Mm. And now as I've matured, I understood more in business and marketing is like, no, you can't make stuff for you. And then expect people to take an interest in it and benefit from it. You have to make it for other people. Mm. So everything I'm doing going forward is for Muslim men. Um, it's for Muslim men. So I'm putting out videos on a regular basis. Um, I've got the podcast as well, which is more general. Um, it's a separate project in my mind. Yeah. But the YouTube channel, the book, all of that, the coaching I do, it's all together. And it's for Muslim men to help Muslim men. So um, right now, for example, I'm thinking, okay, as I build this audience and I put these videos out there, what is the number one area I can help Muslim men in? Um, or when I'm making a video, I'm thinking, okay, what do, what questions do they have that I can answer for them? So instead of it being for the sake of it, information, it's more like, what are they thinking about? What do they wonder about? And let me try and help with that kind of thing. Mm. So if anyone's interested in that, or you know anyone interested, you can point them towards the, the YouTube channel as well. And uh, yeah, it's great as well that you, you said uh, you recorded an episode with uh, Tanaim, who um, I met him uh, once or twice. And uh, we have a mutual friend that we got to know each other through. And I know he's been uh, doing, had his whole uh, business journey as well. Um, so, you know, and I was watching the Ismail Kamdar episode as well. So um, keep it going, you know, with the podcast thing, it's a, it's a bit of a long journey, especially, you know, podcasts not that huge amongst Muslims. Mm. But what I found is that, when I'm consistent, you know, it grew. When I'm just putting it out, you know. So what I did was I made the process of recording an episode and publishing it as easy as possible to just make me consistent. And then as I became consistent, I added things like, okay, make the thumbnail a bit better and make this a bit better. But um, it looks like you've done quite a lot of episodes anyway. So may Allah reward you and make it heavy on your scale, uh, Ya Rab. Jazakallah khair for that encouragement and advice. I've also oh, yeah. downloaded Descript on your suggestion. So I think uh, mm -hmm. the, the other brother behind the mind eyes that told me that. And um, yeah, man, Jazakallah khair. I appreciate your time. And I, oh, yeah, okay. I hope that you continue to put out great content and be a benefit to people and men in this ummah. So assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.